Welcome to the Empower Podcast by Mitchell. Thank you for joining us on the Empower Podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Callahan, and today we're talking about COVID-19 and its potential impact on the workers' comp industry. We'll be speaking with three Mitchell Gen X experts about topics such as medical management, pharmacy, and regulatory changes. First, we'll start with Michelle Hibbert, Senior Vice President of Regulatory Compliance Management. We're both uh, hunkered down in our homes, uh, so you may hear a little bit of new audio, um, but we're so glad to have you all here to hear a little bit about how this pandemic is impacting uh, our world. And Michelle, specifically, how has this changed the regulatory environment for workers' home? Well, it certainly has made it more active than it ever has been. Uh, we were already in an incredibly active legislative season uh, going from 2019 into 2020. And then, of course, COVID-19 happened and it created a whole new working environment for the worker today. Um, working at home comes with its own challenges for a lot of people, but also people that are exposed to the COVID virus in their work environment has also created a number of changes and legislative movements uh, that we're, we're dealing with today. And specifically, I've been seeing a lot on telemedicine regulations that have uh, been changing, it seems like, every day. Um, have there been any challenges the industry is facing in adopting telemedicine? Well, I think, you know, using an example of New York in workers' compensation, they were one of the first states to uh, change the regulation or adopt emergency regulations for telehealth, telemedicine to be used in workers' comp. And as an example, it's been huge changes in those that are allowed, those providers that are allowed to do it now, um, and trying to also have those providers bill for their services has also been a huge change. Great examples are they opened it up in New York workers comp for the chiropractor to be able to perform telehealth, telemedicine, and everyone kind of, uh, you know, shrugs a little bit. How, what are they going to do? But they they did limit them to what they can do over telehealth, telemedicine, which is basically office visits and things like that. And also the acupuncture. We're used to going to an acupuncturist to have a service with a needle performed, but they are allowing some acupuncture services, mainly office visit type services to be done through telehealth, telemedicine. You can really tell that a lot of states were in the midst of changing to be allowed to use more telehealth, telemedicine and workers comp. But these bills and these regulations were moving very slowly. Um, what we're seeing is this rapid movement toward making it available to the injured worker um, and those that were already going through some therapy, some care because of an accident they already had, not just related to COVID, but making it so an individual can get to a provider if they need one faster and within the regulatory environment that is in the particular state. 
I think that's so interesting. There, there are so many people uh, who are maybe in underserved markets or um, a little more rural environments where telehealth could really be a game changer for them. Um, so it's interesting to see how quickly uh, that this crisis has helped accelerate that. You're exactly right. And, you know, we've, we are involved in a shortage of healthcare workers. So making it more efficient even for the providers that are performing telehealth, telemedicine, that are also on the front line and providing care to uh, folks that are, you know, exposed to COVID and they may be needed in the healthcare hands-on type of of work rather than uh, their normal day-to-day -day office. So there's a lot of that happening. We even have some of our own internal nurses at Mitchell. Um, I have one on my team that is part of uh, the San Diego health deployment and she's out on the front line basically um, doing that type of work. Who, and she's normally in an office setting. So they're calling all healthcare workers and telehealth telemedicine is making it easier for the providers if they were already seeing a patient to be able to still do that and also contribute if they need to on the front line. That's so powerful. What other important regulatory changes should claims organizations know about as we go through this process? Well, what we're seeing, you know, of course, there are a number of um, telehealth, telemedicine codes that are being utilized they are, there are modifiers that are being utilized. The claims organization needs to be, become pretty familiar with that and bill review applications need to be updated on a more frequent basis to adopt these regulatory changes like we are doing here at Mitchell. Um, I think some of the aspects of the changes don't involve billing at all or even bill review. Some of these changes lend themselves to what we call leniency um, giving the insurance organization or the payer organization a little bit more time to get their work done because putting folks at home to, to do claim handling took a little bit of effort on those, on those companies that didn't have that type of environment. Um, I was even told by one large insurance company that they deployed nearly 30,000 people who were in the office to their home environment. And that comes with its own challenges in trying to uh, adjust your claim handling practices and to make sure you're doing everything right. So a lot of the insurance departments have issued as part of their orders some leniency in maybe timelines of payment and, and things like that um, on the insurance company side or the payer side. Yeah, we all have to, uh, to adjust and adapt and overcome. I love it. Kind of looking ahead, and so much is unknown at this point. We're sitting um, almost mid-April, so, or I guess exactly mid-April. So how do you expect uh, claim severity type frequency to change, knowing that the world is changing so so rapidly, but based on, on what we know today, what are, you, what are you seeing already? What are you thinking about? Well, today, as we sit here on this date of um, April 15th, we do know that there are approximately 17 million unemployed people today. Um, I think the highest week of unemployment has been uh, 700,000 in the United States, but 
this week we have 17 million unemployed. So just knowing that, you can just make a complete assumption that with less people in the work environment, claim severity will go down. I mean, and people are not going to the provider on the more regular basis. So getting to the doctor to be treated or seen, especially if you're in a physical therapy mode, it may not be considered to be um, essential care. It's emergent care um, and it could be delayed potentially. Those folks are not going to the doctors right now. It could potentially uh, happen on the back end of the care. Uh, what some of the things that we have thought about are the same things we thought about uh, when the Accountable Care came, Act came out, which is those people that didn't have insurance before now have insurance. And when they do go to the doctor, they may have more severe illnesses like cancers because they didn't, they were ignoring their symptoms. Could the delay in getting care create that similar um, back end where it does end up being more expensive because people are not receiving the care that they would normally receive or they're really there's a lot of trepidation to even going into the healthcare environment because folks are afraid they're going to catch something right um, we also know that when we're seeing we're going to see different types of workers in injuries um, great examples are truck drivers for example a lot of the uh, uh, regulations on some of the truck drivers on the amount of time they can be on the road have been lifted. There's leniency there. So they're on the road more. Um, there may be more accidents with truck drivers, which is part of the workers' comp area too. Those guys are driving our foodstuffs to you know, grocery stores, et cetera. Uh, they're allowed to be on uh, the the road longer and you and I working in a home office now we didn't work before maybe our chairs are just our ergonomics are just not good enough for us we are already seeing in our environment where we have to investigate a person's ergonomics because they may be complaining of back pain etc we want to make sure that they're you know they are in a good environment and we're doing everything as an employer we can to make sure folks are comfortable at home but again, it comes with its own different type of um, potential injuries that could happen. Now, looking at the front line, the healthcare workers, the first responders, the childcare workers, those that could potentially be exposed to COVID-19 as part of their job, that remains to be seen. We are seeing differing things happening from state to state with, with what they're calling presumption laws. Um, I think most recently, Illinois, effective on 415, those susceptible to COVID-19 are for, afforded full protection now under the Workers' Comp Act. And even before that, we saw Kentucky um, already stated that they would pay wage replacement for first responders or medical employees that were maybe even just exposed in quarantine because of their exposure to COVID-19. So we're seeing a very different world than we've seen before. Uh, we didn't see this type of world for uh, SARS and for H1N1. It's different now. And there's an expectation for employers to do the right thing when it comes to protecting employees.
Absolutely. So many, even grocery workers are, are now frontline. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. With You mentioned elective procedures and doctor's appointments uh, postponed, um, and you kind of alluded to this, but how do you think um, injured employees will be affected? Um, I haven't been out of my house more than once in the past month, so I can't imagine that a lot of these injured people are are, you know, going out to their normal doctor's appointments. Exactly. And I'll use wellness as an example. Um, even, you know, a wellness visit often un uncovers um, issues with a person. And um, a, one of our employees was to have a uh, colonoscopy done just as part of her wellness visit. Uh, delaying that for someone that is to have that as part of their wellness visit could be uncovering something, and that's elective to do that, uh, could be uncovering something that she may decide to put off for another whole year because it's no fun to have that done for sure. Um, and there are even other types of, you know, venues throughout the country, I would say, that are, um, you know, saying that elective surgeries, elective procedures are not to be done at this time. It could include removal of a screw from a fracture that occurred for an injured worker. And potentially that could get infected later if the person's, you know, there's a, there's a whole litany, even though it might be classified as elective, there can be an effect later from not having that elective um, procedure done at the time it was scheduled. That fascinating issues that, that we just haven't experienced. And overall, we're in a brave new world. Um, what do you think the, the overall impact um, for workers' comp? We talked about many of the micro issues. What do you think on a macro level that, that this is all gonna play out? Well, my opinion is we're not gonna be in the same um, situation, obviously. Six months from now, it will be different. From an overall view of the type of injuries we're seeing in workers' compensation, it's going to have a huge impact on the severity, as we've talked about early on. I think from, from my perspective, that how we handle things today will really play out into the conclusions that we see six, eight months, a year from now. Uh, I'm very used to looking at the data of workers' compensation and auto claims, and uh, we pay particular attention to why people are going to the provider, when they go to the pro provider, and their duration of care, when they should be reaching maximum medical improvement. I think looking at that type of data as it relates to the work that we do in medical review is going to change how we look at that data because of delays people have experienced today and how do we apply the rules of the road that we've always used later? Um, from a legislative perspective, there's going to be a whole lot more activity on telehealth and telemedicine um, to make things more permanent. A lot of the legislation that we're seeing are, is emergency and it has a timeline on it, 60, 90 days. I believe a lot of that will become permanent and there'll be a little bit more investigative um, work done into is it the right thing to do? And the scope of practices for the providers, did we do the right thing when we implemented those emergency regulations? So that's from my perspective and in bill review, 
it will be one of some of the largest impact on, on workers' compensation. Yeah, fascinating. And thank you so much for your expertise and especially your leadership in this space. I know that you've been uh, chatting with a lot of large insurers as well as uh, state representatives and organizations. So much appreciated. Um, we'll be back with uh, Michelle on later podcasts, keeping you up to date as things change. Um, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Next, we'll speak with Chief Clinical Officer Dr. Mitch Freeman about the potential impact on workers' comp pharmacy programs. So Mitch, let's talk first from a macro level. How has COVID-19 affected the way injured workers are receiving pharmacy care? We have seen some impacts to the way that injured workers receive pharmacy care, uh, although it has been somewhat minimal to date. Um, you know, for the most part, pharmacies are still open. They're considered essential and will likely not close throughout the entire pandemic. So really access to retail care uh, has not been an issue to date. We have seen some um, difficulties in obtaining certain medications for pharmacies and in kind of a, a hoarding scenario uh, for respiratory medications such as albuterol inhalers and things like that. Uh, to date, our mail order pharmacy has not uh, been impacted to any, uh, any measurable extent. Uh, and we've been able to procure these medications for our patients, uh, but they, they have become somewhat difficult to, to obtain. Uh, the other thing we've also seen as far as the impacts to, to pharmacy care for injured workers is increased use of mail order. So mail order is a great option for these patients uh, that, you know, if they are injured or at risk, uh, they should not be going to a retail pharmacy if they can avoid it. So why not have your medications delivered directly to your door and avoid the risky scenario of coming in contact with uh, individuals who may be sick because pharmacies are places where people that are that are sick uh, tend to tend to go. So mail order is a great option during this time. Absolutely, I feel like I'm getting everything delivered at this point in my world, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are as well. Are there um, any things that you're already seeing where um, maybe presumptive rules that you think we may see an increase in uh, workers' comp drugs being distributed? We're not really seeing anything now. And, you know, because this is such a pandemic, you would think that, of course, injured or workers will be uh, being exposed to these, to the virus during their normal course of work, hospital workers, uh, EMTs, firefighters, police, those, those types of professions. Uh, so it's reasonable to think that there will be some exposure and, um, and work-related claims associated uh, with, these, with these patients that come in contact with the virus. We haven't seen any short-term impacts, um, and it is a virus that typically runs its course, and for the most part, people recover to a, a pretty um, to a pretty good state uh, if they do recover, unfortunately. But uh, when they do recover, they tend to recover fully. So the long-term impact on pharmacy care for injured workers from the virus, we don't expect to have a very long-term impact. Um, as related to claims that will go on for, for months or years. Uh, we, are, we are seeing a short-term impact uh, just because the workforce is not, a, not as active in, is in general. Um, so, you know, we're not seeing as many new claims as you would expect because 
uh, people are isolating and staying home and hopefully staying safe. Right, and that's what we want everybody to do. We're both uh, sheltering in place from our respective coasts in our uh, homes, and we hope everyone out there is being safe and uh, cautious and hopefully finding some joy in between uh, their self-isolation. Um, anything else that's on your mind as we look at uh, COVID-19 as it relates to um, PBMs and, and how we can best be of service? I think the best way that we can ensure that uh, we are helping to, to keep patients safe is to identify patients that perhaps might be at risk and really reach out proactively and offer mail order uh, as an alternative to, uh, to going into a pharmacy and perhaps being exposed to the virus. That's fantastic, keeping everybody safe. So Mitch, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, giving us some insights, and uh, we'll definitely have you back very soon to talk about what's next after the pandemic. Finally, we'll chat with Gen X Senior Vice President of National Accounts and Marketing, Pat Shavanaugh. So today we're talking a little bit about COVID-19 and the impact that it's had on injured workers and how they get care. Can you give us a macro overview of what you're seeing? All right, Shelley, I think that's a great question. First of all, I'd like to say the healthcare system has become much more complex during this time, which has made the delivery care more difficult. Uh, we have moved from what I would call traditional facilitation of treatment for injured employees to really thinking outside of the box. So some of the examples of issues that we're facing are how to get needed treatment to injured workers in the face of social distancing or locating physicians that are willing and capable of treating the injured worker and um, most importantly, motivating the injured worker to ensure they're actively following through on their care plans. Um, in these situations, you know, we're seeing our field case managers do incredible work to move the, the case forward. You know, we are doing things like, you know, utilizing our long-term relationships uh, with local medical providers to ensure injured employees continue to receive treatment when other providers have closed their doors. Um, and we have countless examples of our case managers working through multiple channels in order to get the injured worker the treatment needed. Uh, in fact, I know of one example where a case manager contacted seven to eight specialists in order to find one that would see the patient. Um, so truly remarkable work. Um, if the injured worker is not able to physically see a provider, they're arranging for telemedicine options. They're also procuring ancillary services and medical equipment. And educating the injured employees about home exercise programs, especially those whose surgery has been delayed due to uh, the COVID-19 crisis. So overall, our nurses are doing an incredible job of really thinking outside of the box to, to move these cases forward. Absolutely powerful. I, I, I'm loving to hear all these stories. Um, you mentioned surgeries being delayed. Um, do you expect longer term impacts of this? For example, um, it, could those surgeries or those delays in treatment lead to delayed return to work times? 
Absolutely. Um, I believe this is one of the biggest initial risks of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, because of the shelter and policies in many states, some injured workers have either opted to delay treatment or can't receive treatment due to provider availability. So once the shelter and restrictions have been lifted, I think you're going to see pent up demand for treatment, which could cause delays in provider scheduling. And this is absolutely going to extend claims and claims duration. Um, so it, it could uh, absolutely be a problem. The other concern revolves around the unemployment crisis in the United States right now due to this uh, COVID-19 issue. If an employee or injured worker has been eliminated or is perceived to be at risk of losing their job, there could be less motivation for a release to return to work. So some things to think about with this, to combat this claims duration issue, um, the best approach is to utilize your clinical resources that are available. Especially in times like this, I feel like the nurse case manager plays an extraordinarily important role in assisting the injured worker and navigating the healthcare uh, system. You know, we've, we've already talked about uh, their ability to utilize the local healthcare knowledge and relationships to help uh, injured workers, uh, which really helps to, uh, you know, access the right care efficiently and effectively. This is going to prevent claims from grinding to a halt, uh, which could have a negative impact on claims duration and overall cost. Uh, and the last thing that I'll mention here is, you know, just given the economic conditions we're facing, I believe a job analysis is going to be more important than ever for return to work efforts. Uh, one of the things that a case manager can do is obtain a job analysis to assist the treating physician in, in determining specifically what the injured worker can or cannot do. This will allow the case manager to work with the employer on return to work options which could include either full release or uh, modified light duty. So, you know, in either way, this is helpful in progressing the claim forward, and it's really going to help limit the impact uh, that the insurance company is going to feel feel uh, relative to claims duration. And it sounds like the case managers are really thinking outside the box to be of service and be a real partner to both the employer as well as the injured worker. Um, what new strategies and tools are you seeing beyond the ones you've mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. So it starts with arming our team with the right resources. So for example, um, GenX clinical guidelines team, they just published proprietary guidelines for COVID-19 that are really unique to the workers' compensation industry. It incorporates extensive materials from expert resources such as the CDC, the World Health Organization, and provides a complete diagnostic treatment protocols and most importantly, duration of treatment timelines and red flags that may delay uh, return to work. So that's an incredible tool that our nurses have access to. The other thing is I'd like to have a call out to telepresence. Um, because we are an essential business, our nurses are still performing field case management as appropriate in shelter in states. However, in cases where a field uh, visit is not possible, the field case managers can schedule a telemedicine visit with the treating provider in order to maintain continuity of care. Um, we also use telepresence tools with our case managers to allow for a more personal engagement with the injured worker when face-to-face -face contact 
um, is not allowed. So those are some of the tools that, that we've given them uh, to really better perform their jobs. When you think about strategies, you know, we've already talked about how our nurses are facilitating care during COVID-19. Um, it's also important to note that our case managers are developing really a thorough understanding of each injured worker's situation and limitations. And I'll tell you, some of the limitations are extraordinary. And so this is where I would say creative thinking as well as empathy and compassion are needed. And I know that there's been a lot of discussion uh, in workers' compensation lately about empathy and compassion. And here's really a great example of that. Um, we had a case in which the injured worker was in ICU. So it was a catastrophic injury. Um, the injured worker's mother was extremely distraught because she was not able to see her daughter due to COVID-19 protocols at the hospital. And I know that we've seen many examples of that already on the news. Um, our case manager was able to contact the hospital and explain the situation. Um, the issue was taken to the ICU doctor who in turn went to the head of the hospital who made an exception allowing the mother to see the daughter um, in ICU. So, you know, I, I just think this is a great example of empathy at work. And again, the great work that our uh, case managers are doing uh, out there. And it really speaks to the, the passion that all these caseworkers have for their profession and the people uh, in their care. It's very inspiring. And I, you know, we've all moved to a, uh, tell the world where we see each other on FaceTime or we're on the phone. And um, so I think we're all adjusting and adapting. And it sounds like uh, your team especially is going above and beyond. It's very inspiring. Absolutely. So kind of without having a crystal ball, of course, um, how do you think the pandemic will continue to affect the workers' comp industry? Um, let's say in the next six months, uh, everything's changing by the day, um, but I'd love to get your insights there. Yeah, I think you said it well. Everything's changing by the day. It's fluid. Uh, however, I think there's several impacts associated with COVID-19 that the workers' compensation industry will need to wrestle with. And I'll, I'll mention three of those. Uh, first, the industry will likely be facing an onslaught of COVID-19 claims. So we've dealt with infectious disease claims. Um, certainly, that's not new to workers' comp. However, the industry has not been required to manage uh, pathogenic viral claims on such a large scale. So, you know, while compensity will certainly be a question that uh, carriers will need to manage through, um, some states have already begun to weigh in on this topic, especially as it re relates to first responders and essential businesses. So it's my belief there's going to be a subset of claims that will be accepted as compensable. And it's really going to be interesting to watch the various state legislation and their interpretation of compensability as it relates to COVID-19 claims that were submitted under workers' compensation. I also think it's going to be really interesting to watch uh, litigation rates on claims as well. Um, I'd like to say, you know, for those claims that are deemed compensable, those COVID-19 claims, it'll be important that there's a good clinical triage process in place to understand the risks associated with each claim, as well as strong uh, clinical oversight. You know, um, from what we've read, from what we know, COVID-19 is extremely dangerous for individuals who are comorbid or 
have at least one underlying condition. So, you know, while most cases are going to resolve with very little treatment, there's going to be a subset with lingering problems that could result in costly claims. Um, so that's the first area that, that I would say that's going to be impacted uh, by the pandemic. The other area is around technology. So another big impact in the industry is the exploration of newer technology. Um, while I would say telemedicine and telerehab concepts have been around for some time, they have not been heavily adopted within workers' compensation. And now that the pandemic has uh, forced social distancing, we're, we're finding new ways to deliver care. While I believe we'll see a higher use of these tools moving forward, um, it's not the answer for all claims, especially for those that are more complex in nature. So I think actually one of the benefits of the crisis, if there is a benefit, is that the industry is beginning to understand the optimal use of these tools. Um, for example, there's been a lot of discussion as of late around virtual IMEs as a topic. And this is similar to telemedicine uh, as a tool in that the independent medical exam would be conducted via video. Um, the first obstacle is to understand which states would allow such an exam. Um, right now, there are only four states that will allow this. Um, the other issue is to determine the type of claims that may be most appropriate. So when we think like um, psych exams, you know, that might be uh, appropriate for a virtual IME. Typical workers' compensation claims that require hands-on evaluation or study of range of motion may not be appropriate. Um, so I think, again, understanding how we're going to use these tools going forward in an optimal way will be uh, a, a great takeaway from the pandemic. And the last one I'll mention is really around uh, the impact on premiums. Uh, so an immediate impact the workers' compensation industry will experience is the drop in premium associated with the economic issues many businesses are facing due to COVID-19. Um, you know, while it's unknown how long the economic impact will be felt, and I know that there's a lot of forecasts that are already out there, uh, one thing's for certain, efficiency will be top of mind for many payers to think about. So, you know, how can I use technology, improve process, or business partners to achieve better claims outcomes more efficiently uh, than we have in the past? And um, this may include things like the enhanced use of artificial intelligence to route appropriate cases for higher levels of clinical oversight or handling, or, you know, looking to improve virtual mailroom processes to expedite handling of medical bills and reports, and, and really using product integration to drive better results through efficiency. You know, um, I just do, I, I want to mention this, though. It's important, you know, while efficiency is, is going to be key to the payers, there is no substitute for expertise. Um, so it is about using the expertise in the most optimal manner. I do feel that technology and process can do that. And that's going to help, I think, the uh, insurance company find a better way to manage uh, cases in the future. So those are just some of the things I see as kind of the, the major impacts um, that are expected from the pandemic. It's, it's fascinating. Once again, we see where technology and the human touch come together in, in such a powerful way. And I think we're seeing that in a whole new light as we navigate the, the pandemic. So thank you so much, Pat, for 
your expertise for some of the stories that, um, that really make you feel good about the work we're doing. So much appreciated. Absolutely. Thanks, Shelley. And uh, we'll be back with uh, Empower for more podcasts. Uh, there's also great resources online. Pat mentioned uh, his guide, and there's more on our website. So join us there, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks again, Pat. This is Shelley Callahan powering down the Empower podcast by Mitchell. Join the conversation and read articles on our website, mitchell.com empower. Thank you.